name is Autumn Dixon, and this week is February 27th through March 5th, and we are still working through the Gospels. So at this point in time, Christ is going about his public ministry, teaching, preaching, healing, all these different things. And one of the events that occurs during his public ministry is that he decides to share a meal with sinners and publicans. Now, in order to understand the factors at play here, we need to understand a little bit of Jewish tradition. So sharing a meal with somebody in that day and age, you it wasn't just sharing a meal, right? Like it wasn't just an acquaintance. When you shared a meal with somebody, you were essentially giving a token of friendship, right? There was a relationship there. There was an understanding. There was peace between you both, right? It meant more than it means in our day. Now, when it says that Christ decided to dine with sinners and publicans, sinners might have meant, well, sinners, or it might have meant anybody who wasn't necessarily keeping all of the added on laws that the Pharisees had added. So it could have meant a couple of different things. And then there were the publicans. Now, the publicans were tax collectors. They were Jews but they worked for the Roman government, which is a big no-no. And so they had to pay just a certain amount to the Ro- to the Roman government, and then they could keep whatever they wanted that they collected on top of what they gave to the Roman government. So there's actually a lot of corruption amongst the publicans. And fact that I did not know before, that a lot of them were often excommunicated because of their profession. So... The Pharisees and the scribes, they see Christ dining with the, with the sinners and the publicans. And as nobody's surprised, they're not very happy about it. And this is what Christ says to them in answer to them being troubled by his sharing meal with them. This is Mark chapter 2, and it is verse 17. It says, when Jesus heard it, so he heard the Pharisees and the scribes complaining about him having meal. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It is immensely significant that he calls himself a physician, particularly in this in this instance. So, because he's talking about sinners and publicans, right? He, when he is talking about calling people to repentance. He calls himself a physician, and a physician heals, right? This reflects Christ's perspective on sin and repentance. So I want to talk about those things. And the fact that he uses, that he describes himself as a physician, what does that mean about Christ's perspective of sin and repentance? Number one, sin is a sickness. And there are a lot of parallels between sin and sickness, right? There are times when sickness is not our fault. It just happens to be part of our circumstances, right? There are times when it is brought about because of our own choices. I mean, I would almost say a majority of the time it's brought about because of our own choices. Or sometimes our choices either directly infect us or they make us vulnerable to infection, right? But regardless 
of how the sickness came about, it still needs to be removed. Regardless of how much at fault you are, like when you look at your circumstances and everything that contributes, regardless of how much at fault you are, you still have the free agency to take the steps needed to heal from that sickness. Now, second perspective, when we're talking about Christ being the physician, repentance. Repentance is healing. It is healing. And when we talk about that, we there are a couple of things that come to mind when I think about the fact that repentance is healing. One being that we shouldn't let sin continue to harm us when it is no longer a problem. We shouldn't stay at home in bed as if we're still sick when we are no longer sick. We don't need to feel ashamed every time that we think about it or worry that people are going to find out about it when we when we got sick, right? Or when we made choices. When you heal from a sickness or an injury, when you are considered healed, it's because it's no longer affecting you, right? And so when you are repenting, you should repent to the point where that sin is no longer affecting you. It's no longer hurting. If you have something that has happened in your life, either recently or a long time ago, that is still hurting, there are probably still some steps that you can take in order to have that no longer affect you. And perhaps one of those steps is simply that you need to trust that Christ paid for it. To choose to have faith in Christ's promises. Now, I had an experience, it was quite a while ago, I had an experience where I was able to see repentance in its true form, what it was really meant to be. So it came at a point in my life when I was having some issues with things. I had a couple of flaws that I was trying to overcome and I was making some mistakes and I was having a really hard time overcoming these mistakes and I was doing everything I could to get over it. I was writing reminders to myself and putting them all over my walls. I put it as the background of my phone. I was praying all the time that I would be able to overcome these flaws and I was reading my scriptures about it. I was trying so hard to overcome these issues. And there was a point when I was driving home after making the same mistake that I had made a million times and I was driving home and I was so frustrated with myself because I knew better. I knew that those were not the kind of choices that were going to make me happy, right? They weren't going to lead me anywhere happy. And I was so frustrated with myself because I knew better. And as I was driving home, getting really frustrated with myself, all of a sudden there was this piece that filled the car. And I remember feeling it while I was driving and it confused me <laughs> because I had just made this mistake and yet I was feeling the spirit, right? So I was really confused and I kind of talked to Heavenly Father about it. I was like, Heavenly Father, I don't really know why I'm feeling the spirit right now because I just made these mistakes again. And I didn't necessarily hear any words or feel any words 
but I did know why I was feeling that spirit. And it was because Heavenly Father knew that what I needed at that point in my life in order to overcome these flaws that I had, I needed to know that I was loved and that Heavenly Father had so much more in mind for me. I needed to know that I was precious to him. And those were the kinds of feelings that were going to help me step up and be better than I was being. If I had continued to try repentance in my way, if I had continued to try and beat it out of myself, <laughs> if I had continued to try to make it so miserable that I would finally give it up, I don't know how long it would have taken me to get over some of these flaws that I had. Repentance isn't just about feeling that guilt. It's meant to be about healing, right? When we look at the perspective of our Savior, of him being a physician, of him healing us from sin, we need to try and match our perspective to his, right? I think sometimes logically, like when we're giving answers in Sunday school or giving a talk at church, we're like, yes, repentance is healing. But sometimes that stays locked in our brain and it doesn't seep all the way down to our hearts and doesn't always reflect the feelings in our hearts. So when we have sinned or when someone approaches us and is talking about some of the things that they're trying to repent of, rather than trying to make sure we're feeling sufficient guilt so that we can become better, a better question to ask would be, how, what can I do to heal from this? What can I do to help my loved one heal from this? When we truly take on that perspective, we will likely treat ourselves and others differently than we are currently doing so. Now, his perspective should reflect from us, from our hearts, right? We're trying to become like Christ. It should reflect from us. And the perspective is that sin is a sickness and that repentance is healing. So we want to approach sin and repentance in the way that Christ would do so. Now, this is a really, really big example, dramatic example that I'm going to be using, but I like big dramatic examples because it makes it much easier to see the principle so that we can take that principle and we can apply it to much smaller experiences. So perhaps you will never be in this situation. Perhaps you have been in this situation. Perhaps you are currently in this situation. I don't really, really know. But the point is there's a principle here that I'm trying to teach. So let's say that you are a parent and you have a teenage daughter who comes to you and she tearfully tells you that she has made some choices and has found herself pregnant and alone. Now, there are lots of knee-jerk reactions you could have to the situation. You could find yourself asking all sorts of questions like, oh my gosh, like, is she going to be able to rebound from this? Is she, what's going to happen to our education? What are we going to do about the baby? Are we going to keep the baby? What's, how is our life going to change overall? Should we take her out of school? Right. There's a million questions that you could be asking. How is the Lord going to treat her? 
so many questions that you can be asking that can lead to fears about how to help your daughter find herself on a, on a path that's going to lead to happiness. Or sometimes perhaps our reaction would be to wrap our arms around our daughter and tell her we love her and that it's all going to be okay and we'll love her no matter what. But then later on, those fears kind of start to seep in. Is she going to be okay? Is she going to be able to rebound from this? Is she going to make the same mistake again, right? Regardless of whether it happens in the beginning or whether those fears gradually come in, those that fear is going to lead to a negative reaction, right? It's going to cloud our judgment on the decisions that we could make to help our loved one heal. Now, for example, when you're afraid, like, oh my gosh, is she going to be able to bounce back from this? How is she going to be able to pick a good person in the future? It might cause you to start trying in, trying to hammer in those hard lessons, right? Like, oh, you pick someone who treats you better, whatever it might be. We try to hammer in those hard lessons. We're trying to hammer in hard lessons that she's likely already learning without you trying to double down on them, right? I think sometimes we're afraid that if we don't get angry, ourself or our loved one will continue to make those same mistakes, right? We equate our level of anger or frustration with the gravity of the situation, right? Bigger saying we need to be more angry so that they know that they can't do it again or so that we won't do it again. We have to be serious about it. But sometimes that anger and that constant trying to hammer in those hard lessons can have the opposite effect. It can make repentance an embarrassing and an unpleasant experience. It can lead to further scarring rather than healing, right? And repentance is supposed to be healing. It can lead to more damage, which isn't repentance at all, right? When we let true repentance seep all the way down into our hearts, when we let the perspective of the Savior seep all the way down into our hearts, we are going to approach repentance and our loved ones differently. There will be a whole lot less anger involved, a whole lot less shame involved. Instead, we will be looking at that other person or looking at ourselves in the mirror, and we will be saying, how can I help you heal from the effects of this? And in this particular situation, it would probably, well, in a lot of situations, it would probably take a lot of clarity and truth and free agency and support. But no matter how that answer really, really looks, we have to let that principle guide us that sin is a sickness and repentance is healing. When you or someone you love is in the process of repentance already, let that healing start, right? Sin so often leaves its own mark and teaches its own lessons. It doesn't necessarily need us to drive those lessons deeper in order to avoid doing it again, right? Sin comes with its own consequences. We don't have to make them. Now, there are times when it is appropriate to have a more stern approach, right? 
there are times when a stern, I guess, heavier hand is appropriate and helpful. So for example, my son. <laughs> now I'm just going to be, I know already that my son can't sin. He's not old enough to sin. He's not sinning, but I'm still teaching the principle and the principle can be taken and applied to situations, right? So I have a son who laughs at everything. <laughs> when he's in trouble, he laughs. No matter how many times I've tried to teach him or what, everything I've tried, he laughs at, except for occasionally his dad. Sometimes his dad can get through to him, but he laughs. That's how he reacts to things. Okay, well, he developed this bad habit of going out the front door when I wasn't looking, which is obviously extremely dangerous. But we're living in a rental. I can't put another like lock up top. He can reach the lock and unlocks it. He likes to go outside. And so I was doing everything I could to teach him, you do not go outside without mom, ever. I tried timeouts. I tried everything, speaking to this little booger. And it finally came to the point where I just knelt in front of him and I had his little shoulders in my hands. And I was like, you cannot do this. It's dangerous. Someone can take you. You can get hit by a car. And I was extremely stern with him and he was still laughing. And so then I moved my thumbs onto his little mouth and I pulled it down into a frown and I was like this is serious and I told him again you can get taken from me you can get hit by a car <laughs> and that was one of the few times I've gone through to him <laughs> because he was no longer trying to like laugh and react laugh right instead he like got sober and he listened and he stopped going out the front door without me <laughs> so there are times when that gravity and that serious needs to come through in order to achieve that safety and that healing that we're looking for. So for example, the Pharisees, they come to Christ and they're like, why are you? they have that scornful reaction? You're sitting with these sinners and these publicans. They were sinning too, right? They were sinning. They needed the physician possibly even more than these sinners and these publicans needed, right? And Christ often dealt a stronger hand towards the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees than he did to these other sinners, right? Look at the discrepancy between how he treats the Pharisees and how he treated the woman taken in adultery. He, treat, he treated the woman taken in adultery, he treated her with gentleness and kindness and telling her to, that she can do better, right? And then on the flip side, the Pharisees, who had added on all these rules and were guilty of pride, he dealt a very strong hand too, right? That was because the principle guided him. He knew sin was a sickness and he was the physician and needed to heal it. And sometimes it looked like vastly different things. Sometimes it looked like the woman taken into adultery where they needed gentleness and kindness. And then there are other times when it requires a more heavy hand in order to help that person heal. So how do we help ourselves heal? How do we help others heal? There is no one right answer. But it has to fall back on this principle where we have to look at repentance as healing. And I think one of the best ways to get to that point where we look at repentance as a healing process is to make sure that we are legitimately filled with charity. Because when you really love, for example, that teenage daughter who made some mistakes and is finding herself in a really difficult position in life, when you really love her, you're not going to care about any shame that may accompany 
her or your family from other outside sources. You're not going to worry about whether she's learning a hard enough lesson, right? You are going to be focused sincerely on how to help her heal. True repentance is healing. It's not equivalent to guilt. And we know that logically. But so often we still treat repentance and sin, we treat it like repentance is just supposed to be guilt, right? I believe in a Savior who wants us to heal. He already paid for it a long time ago. He already paid for all of it. We don't have to pay for it. Sometimes a heavy hand or a little bit of guilt can give us that check engine light, but we don't have to pay for our sin. Christ already did that. We just need to come unto him and heal. I'm grateful for my Savior for paying for it because I know that I never could. I'm grateful for him. I love him. I'm grateful for his example in always loving others and letting that love guide his decisions about how to help those people come unto him to heal. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.